I'm Frank Povakevich, and you're listening to The Gavel Drop, my personal newsletter where I talk about education, college, health and wellness, life, and even some model United Nations. Today, you'll hear a recording of a piece I wrote for the All-American Model UN website in 2018, entitled Model UN, The Machine. In it, I trace how Model United Nations evolved in the United States and how I became addicted to building the infrastructure of the Model United Nations community. After closing ceremony has ended and the ballroom falls silent, after the last school bus pulls away from the conference hotel, after the feelings of achievement, satisfaction, elation, frustration, and feigned apathy all fall away, the gears of the Model UN machine begin to crank. I've been involved in every facet of Model United Nations over the last 15 years. My Model UN career started as a high school delegate. Now, I have the utmost privilege to work with a dedicated cohort of high school students as their coach. In between, I served on my high school conferences secretariat, competed on my college Model UN team, did time on multiple secretariats at the high school and collegiate level, acted as the Secretary General of Boston University's first college conference, and oversaw the BU International Affairs Association as the organization's president. I've seen the activity we all love, eat, elate, crush, and create people. And even though I don't mean create in a biblical sense, I know of at least two or three MUN couples who have married since college. Everyone has a different attraction to Model UN. Many of my students and college friends embrace the travel team, but still loathe the internal politicking needed to get selected. Others get involved in chairing conferences for high school students, and those people sometimes stray up the leadership ladder into a USG or even SG role. Their motivation may be purely academic in nature. They truly want to design and operate an outstanding academic program. A small number of people may even throw themselves into the deep end and participate in multiple ways, but they're often driven by friendship and camaraderie rather than a quest for organizational development. In the smallest bucket are those of us who fall in love with the big picture in the machinery that makes Model UN function in the United States. About a week or so after the conclusion of a major conference, the behind the scenes work takes over. There are no more background guides to write, no more chairs to train, no more position papers to grade, no more teachers to coddle. Only the financials are left, and questions. How much money did we make this year? Will it be enough to fund us for the future? The earliest roots of Model United Nations in the United States track back to a simulated League of Nations hosted by Harvard in the 1920s. But the League collapsed under the weight of inaction, hypocrisy, and the still unsatisfied craving for conquest, destruction, and nationalism. Following the end of the Second World War, the United Nations Charter was signed on June 26, 1945. Soon after, many UN-themed debate conferences were hosted, which we affectionately now call Model United Nations, or later by the abbreviation MUN. Model UN interest grew modestly in the United States over the first 30 years, but in the late 1980s, Model UN began its exponential growth. Conferences popped up at colleges and universities around the country. 
The activity quickly trickled into high schools and then even into middle schools. Estimates put the number of Model UN participants in the United States somewhere at the level of 400,000 people. But strangely enough, the United Nations stayed out of Model United Nations until just recently. Model UN evolved in a decentralized fashion in the United States. There is no central authority, no administration body, no national rule setting or awards policy, no common standard. Realizing this shines a light on the most common frustration felt by Model UN participants. With no governing authority, Model UN conferences are free to determine their own destiny. Conferences will vary in size, from 50 students to 4,000, in style, from academic to cutthroat competitive, in the types of committees that are simulated, from traditional general assembly to the relatively new crisis committees, and in price, from free to hundreds of dollars, and in many other delineations. Most Model UN conferences hosted by colleges and some nonprofits are giant fundraisers, the proceeds of which fund organizational operations for the remainder of the year. Regardless of its education and heuristic benefits, Model UN is a business in the United States. Conferences, small and large, compete with one another to attract schools. Who has the smallest staff to student ratio? Who has the most creative committees? the best background guides, the largest audience, the most experienced staff, the best student experience, or the best perks for teachers. Once you attend enough conferences, you begin to pick up on the factors that differentiate conferences and notice that leaders push their narratives. Welcome to the largest Model United Nations conference in the United States. Welcome to the Championship Conference. Our 200-person staff has been working tirelessly over the past year to bring you the most creative committees in the world. Like universities, conferences fight to differentiate themselves to attract the best schools as participants without ever drawing direct comparison to one another. One of the best parts of Model UN and the main motivation for why I've spent so much of my life involved in the community is the people. Sure. I went to Boston University for my undergraduate degrees, but some of my best friends while I was there went to school at Harvard, Yale, McGill, Georgetown, and elsewhere. Being on a college travel team, you see the same cast at almost every conference. For me, this was six to eight weekends every year. Part of what makes the business of Model UN compelling to investigate are the relationships between people, between travel teams, and sometimes between entire schools. While high school conferences may be vying to attract the same schools, their corresponding competitive travel teams may be attending the college conference hosted by that same school. Famously, the University of Pennsylvania and Harvard College host their high school conferences on the same weekend in January. A few weeks later, Penn's travel team will attend Harvard's college conference to compete for a delegation award. On its face, Conflict seems obvious, but having gone through the system, it's rarely an issue. First, Model UN participation is growing. That allows for giant conferences like Penn's Almonk and Harvard's HMUN to coexist on the exact same weekend. While there may be feigned quarrels over which conference had which high schools attend, it would be surprising to see Penn and Harvard directly square off against one another, guns drawn like an old Western. Conflict is bad for
for business, but it's worse for relationships. The main reason conflict rarely appears is because of the tight-knit community that binds collegiate Model United Nations participants together. For the people that fall in love with Model UN, the machine, it can become an obsession, a time-devouring behemoth. Travel team practices, staff training sessions, conference weekends, explaining to your professor why, again, you won't be in seminar, secretariat meetings, board meetings, phone calls with hotel reps, meeting with the university administration, explaining why your college needs to sign a seven-year, multi-million-dollar contract with a hotel, and, oh yeah, class. Not many can deal with the stress and time management constraints. For those who do, their social lives become inexorably tied to Model UN. For those who can't, they shed responsibilities, leadership roles, and Model UN commitments until they find the appropriate level, which for some means casting Model UN out of their lives entirely. My best friends in college were the people who shared the same Model UN addiction that trapped me. We shared a common vision and shared goals for various parts of the organization, and we put our commitment to whatever secretariat, travel team, or board that we happened to be a part of. It was on these teams that after years of loathing team-based class projects, I came to understand the unstoppable momentum of a high-powered, unified team, and it's what I miss the most. I've also lost friends to silly issues that led to fights or even screaming matches in four-hour board meetings. As organizations grow, so too does everything that supports that organization. The membership, the hierarchy, the bureaucracy, the revenue, the profit, hopefully, the number of conferences, the number of leadership positions, and the liabilities. The liabilities attract the most attention from the university. Despite the impressive or ridiculous amount of time that college students devote to Model UN, it is still just a club, an after-school co-curricular activity possibly a line item on your CV if you can translate what Model UN is to your potential employer, until it isn't. Once you have personal accountability, legal responsibility, and financial liability, the machine cranks to a new gear. When I was elected president of the Boston University International Affairs Association, pronounced Booyah, the Student Activities Office at the university made me sign a document. In summary, to become president of the student club, I had to sign a piece of paper personally guaranteeing a positive budget at the end of the year, or BU would withhold my diploma. Booya in 2010, was the largest organization at Boston University, measured by revenue and account balance, with transactions well over $400,000 a year. That budget, an SAO director once told me, was used to fund several other groups throughout the year. As a student group, we were forbidden from owning or operating an outside bank account. Therefore, BU used our high account balance as working capital. If Booyah ran a large enough deficit, we would create a negative balance, and the student activities budget would be ruined for an entire year. And I wouldn't be allowed to graduate. As Model UN evolved in U.S. colleges, clubs morphed into umbrella organizations, a sort of holding corporation for everything international relations focused. 
I happened to be at BU when the organization made this transition from the Model UN Club, which consisted of a high school conference and travel team, into the International Affairs Association, which housed a high school conference, a college conference, a sub-conference joint venture in China, an intercollegiate travel team, an academic journal, and on-campus programs and events. This structure isn't uncommon at other large programs, though each school tends to have its own twist and personality. Dealing with the university administration can be tiring and perplexing. Working through a student organization's internal bureaucracy can be frustrating and revolting. Either or a combination of both can lead to an entirely new legal entity. Enter the independent nonprofit. You may have noticed that at some conferences, the hosting organization is not the university itself, but an independent student-led nonprofit that may borrow or imply the university's name. Example organizations that operate outside the boundaries of their respective universities include the International Relations Council Incorporated Harvard University, 501c3, a Massachusetts nonprofit corporation, the Yale International Relations Association Incorporated, a 501c3 Connecticut nonprofit corporation, and the Georgetown International Relations Association Inc. JIRA, a 501c3 in Washington, D.C. I highlight these organizations in particular because of their impressive reach, organizational complexity, and leadership within the Model UN community. Combined, these three organizations have revenues over $1.64 million and assets largely in cash holdings of $1.8 million according to the publicly available 990 forms in 2016. An adage says, if you're not growing, you're dying. And Model UN is experiencing global growth at a scale previously unforeseen. Take, for example, Harvard's IRC, Yale's Yura, and Georgetown's Jira operate no less than 14 conferences across the globe every year supplying opportunities for over 25,000 students around the world to participate in Model UN activities. It should be noted that these organizations also provide over $250,000 in combined financial assistance to students and that exactly zero students draw any income from these organizations. And while their assets may seem unnecessarily inflated, those balances are needed to hedge against a variety of liabilities that face any organization liabilities that we came to experience in full effect during the COVID-19 pandemic, when conferences for over two years were forced to close down. To explain to family, friends, and employers that Model UN, for the students who run such expansive organizations, is just a student club, is a disservice and an insult. For those deeply involved, Model UN is not merely a club but a community, a business, and sometimes a way of life that requires dedication, strategic thinking, and utmost commitment. The transformation of Model United Nations from a high school debate platform to a sophisticated global education movement, complete with its own financial systems, legal intricacies, and expansive outreach underscores its significant impact on participants and the broader community. For me, Model UN has played an outsized role in my life, and I wouldn't have it 
any other way. Keep striving for better.